Hey guys, welcome back to hmm, the podcast where we create a space for unfiltered conversation that pushes past the easy answers into deeper connection. Okay, so we wanted to have this conversation um, geared towards white people, um, just about how to get involved in the conversation of racism and how kind of the do's and don'ts of uh, walking through the conversation of racism and getting involved in um, fighting for black people and just fighting against systemic racism and such. And so we just want to have this conversation to just invite you into the, t- the conversation and hopefully um, we can dialogue, you know, outside of this podcast on comments and messages and whatever. But we just want to share resources. We want to talk about um, working past being apathetic towards the issue of racism and um, among a bunch of other things. So we just want to invite into- you into this conversation and hope that you will walk away encouraged and Um, reflective because I think the most important piece of being a white person in the conversation of racism is coming humbly and having a heart of humility to listen and to learn and to educate ourselves and to be corrected and to not get defensive or deflect in the conversation, but to really just take a seat and listen um, to our black brothers and sisters and what they have to say and how they want to do things. And so we just invite you into this conversation. yeah, so I guess if you have anything, if you want to share one of your stories or however you want to start. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, just to reiterate, I feel like this is such a our hope is just to create a space for more dialogue among our white brothers and sisters just to talk about things that you may agree with, don't agree with, maybe things that trigger you or maybe you're totally like on board. But the hope is to really move past the defensive, like offensive, whatever type of feeling, just to really dig deeper into the heart of the issue and really into the heart of God. Because we know that God, he's for, you know, just in the fact of just walking with Black Lives Matter and for those that have experienced just oppression over so many years. And that's like embedded in the U.S. history. So Yeah, I think I'll share a little bit of my experience at one of the protests that we went to the other day. I know for me, already just reading the stories, watching the videos, and seeing different posts, it's already heavy to just imagine somebody else, their life is taken, and just to see another father taken from their family. But for me, even as we stood on the street and we had our sign out, this like wave of emotion hit me where... It's almost like I needed to put the sign down just to like, it's almost like this invitation to to really lament mm. and to really press into being like, it's like, I almost felt like the weight of God was like, dang, like another one of my children has been taken from me, you know, taken from where I placed him. And I think for me, yeah, it, it was just, it was a lot to experience, but it's, I, I just stand by this quote that I already shared in our last podcast, which was when you start to like 
talk about and engage in the injustices in our world, it will really make you face what's unjust in you. And it'll really make you deal with your own apathy and deal within deal with things within yourself. And so I just feel like that is something that I face. Like I was like, wow, there was just this invitation to really grieve because it's not something that we can just pass over. Um, yeah. So I think that was just one of my experiences. And then just getting to see some people pass by who just thanked us for standing for them or standing in, you know, with them. Yeah. And then as well as, you know, we had other people who, you know, shockingly, just had a very strong response and you could just tell there was hatred and offense in their heart. And in my head, there's no way to really move forward without having dialogue, Mm -hmm. even with people like that for us to say like, Hey, tell me your story. Like what is so, what is so in your heart that makes you want to respond this way? Yeah. And what are you reading when you hear black lives matter? What are you interpreting? Because this is a cry. Mm -hmm. So I feel like that is just one of our experiences, which I know we're going to talk about how the church handles that and <laughs> lament and apathy. Yeah. A um, couple things, like as you were talking, um, I had this thought the other day because I wrote a post on Facebook and um, Pastor Cliff, he um, he's one of the pastors at one of the churches that I support and go to, but um, he just, he's been commenting on a lot of my stuff. He's a, he's a black pastor. Um And he commented on one of my posts and was like, thank you. And even when we were at the protests and, you know, we had like quite a few white people kind of stop in their cars and just be like, thank you. Like, I wish I could be here with you, but thank you for, for doing this. And a part of me, and even when Pastor Cliff commented, thank you, a part of me was like, I don't deserve to be thanked for doing something that I should be doing. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not a chore or an inconvenience to fight for the lives of my black brothers and sisters. Um, And so there's no reason for me to be thanked, you know? And I honestly, it was so hard because as they were thanking us and they were driving and I I just like didn't even respond and I didn't know how to respond. And I was like, I don't want to smile like, cause I'm not in a place where I'm like, this isn't happy. Like, and I, but I don't want to be rude to them expressing in whatever way they feel to express about what's happening. And that comes out in a thank you for me standing on the sidewalk, but I'm literally standing on the sidewalk holding a sign like, and it doesn't even matter what level of um, involvement I have in the issue of racism, whether I'm on the front lines or just posting about it, I don't deserve a thank you. And I think part of I mean, the root of white supremacy is pride and arrogance. Like, and so I think, you know, going into these situations and the conversations um, as a white person, like we just really have to take a seat and be humble. And I think part of that is not expecting a thank you for the work that we're doing with them. Like not expecting to be thanked for standing on the sidewalk, not expecting to be thanked for posting and talking about it. Like it's not a chore. It's, it's a responsibility I have as a human being. And um, so that was one thing that I've just kind of been sitting with as well. I, and I responded to him. I was like, I am not comfortable like receiving a thank you. Like it's just to me, I'm like, I have no reason to be thanked. Um, And the other piece is like with that, that woman who was so angry 
I just had this moment and I was like, if there's any way to fight the issue of racism, if there's any position I can take as a white person in the conversation, it's having the conversation with other white people. Like when that woman, like, like she, so what happened was basically she was like flipping everyone off and yelling out of her car. And then she took the time to pull over. Um, she took the time out of her day to pull over and get out of her car and walk around the protesters, flipping everyone off and, um, cussing everyone out. And my first thought is like one you're you probably have some story, um, probably stemming from childhood that is has placed so much hate in your heart um but two I'm like that shouldn't even be someone that my black brothers and sisters have to even engage with like that should be my job that's my position to take to stand in front of her and have a conversation with her and to call her out and to um call her out in love and even though it's so hard when people are acting out like that like you just want to kind of reciprocate the same energy but um yeah I just had that moment where I was like because a bunch of people a bunch of the protesters had gone and stood in front of her car um and were like holding up signs kind of trying to like block her out in a sense um and I just had this moment where I was like that should be the position of a white person right now like they are black brothers and sisters shouldn't even have to worry about people like that because we're so um, involved and so immediately positioning ourselves to talk to them and to disarm them and to try to get them to calm down and just even just leave. Like, even if there's not a conversation, but just to be the person in the front lines, um, you know, just like we've been seeing images of a whole line of white people standing and barricading between the police and the rest of the protesters who are black, you know? Um, and so, yeah, that was just a couple thoughts I had from yesterday um, at the protest, along with just feeling like, <laughs> like I was getting really sunburned standing out there. And my thought was like, cool. I was like, I go home a couple days. I'm uncomfortable. My shoulders hurt. My skin will peel and I'll still be white. I'll still have my privilege. I'll still get to choose whether I want to go back out there and burn again or not. And black people don't have that choice. Like um, their skin is seen as a weapon. And so, yeah, it's honestly, it's, it's an honor and a privilege to be able to protest. Like it's not, Oh, I have to protest. It's no, I get to, like I get to stand out here and stand for what's right. Yeah, I, as I was there, I was still just reflecting on the lamenting piece just because, yeah, I just feel like that is just so missing in this church culture or just currently in the church, it's just missing, you know? And I was reading this perspective of this young man, Alex Freeman, and he said, is God racist or is it my church? And he was just sharing how he felt like 
because his pastor didn't talk about current issues or how the church just talked about unity and being like, it's about the gospel. Like, let's make it about the gospel and everything else will figure itself out that in itself that is privileged just because it leaves, it leaves it to just everyone else to figure it out besides ourselves. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. So I think for myself, I'm just been really reflecting on that of just like apathy and lamenting and what it really looks like in the church to put aside a Western agenda mm-hmm. and really start to walk out the Jesus of Nazareth, the one who came incarnate and the one who just really was about justice. Yeah. And I just feel like even for myself, it's it's like, who are we following? Are we following this like white Western Jesus mm. or who do we really know? about this Jesus. Cause even as I've been processing and reading these different articles, seeing, you know, engaging with friends of mine in conversation, it's almost like this new level of dang, do I follow Jesus? Like, mm. and for those of us who don't even talk about these issues, don't, who don't even acknowledge George Floyd or have not even talked about him and the other people that have passed that have been killed. It's like, how are we connected to God when he is a God of justice and what are we showing to people in our churches when we don't step into lament, when we don't step into conversations of this is not okay. Like, I mean, who cares about a sermon, you know, and this is what me and Spencer have been talking about just sermons, even worship, because even down to how worship is chosen and how sometimes church is set up is a white way of doing it. Yep. Like the songs we choose, uh, you know, how, just how we go about it. It's all within the system itself. Mm -hmm. And so what does it look like to let ourselves as pastors, as ministers, as whoever, to let it be messy and to let really be dependent on Holy Spirit and not put it on our agenda. And so I, yeah, I think that's just kind of where I've been and trying to really reflect. And it just reminds me of a lot of conversations I used to have in college you know, just trying to invite different songs into our worship set or, but just at the, the real fact of it is like, dang, like, am I going to be embarrassed to invite someone to church when current events are happening and it's not even mentioned? Mm. What does that make me as a Christian? Yeah. And are we really setting people up to really face life? Are we just letting them be dependent on this like baby milk Jesus, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, after, you know, the murder of George Floyd went viral on social media. Um, on Sunday, I woke up with such a longing for like, just the raw and real gospel like we're human we all make mistakes we're all gonna miss things we're all gonna say the wrong thing however I do think that in times like these well in general but especially times like these like it just proves how important it is to have a relationship with Jesus and to have Holy Spirit because um to preach your pre-planned sermon on a Sunday after an incident like George Floyd um, 
following Breonna Taylor, following Ahmaud Arbery, like to just go about business as usual is so white privilege (laughs) and um, is definitely a Western church culture. And it's really alarming to me um, that churches would go about their business as usual, that they wouldn't take a moment to consider the events that are happening um, and consider their words and consider what steps they take next. Um, And so honestly, I woke up on Sunday and I was like, I pray to God right now that at least the churches that I support and attend will take a moment and possibly just not even have a sermon. Like, and like you said, I think, you know, the conversation of racism is messy. It's not going to be perfectly outlined. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be comfortable. It's not going to be flowers and daisies. And that's gospel. Like (laughs) Jesus's walk was not pretty and cute, you know, like doing the work that Jesus did, like being a disciple of Jesus is not pretty and perfect and beautiful all the time. And there's humans are messy. Emotions are messy. Church should be messy. And I get alarmed when church is perfectly polished and aren't having necessary conversations because out of fear or out of just not wanting to step into a place that's uncomfortable. Um, Yeah. And so I think, I do think the church has a lot of growing to do in the area of lamenting and even repentance. Like I feel like for so long, the church has um, painted this like picture of God that's full of grace. And yes, he is, but there's also a piece where we, we sin, we're sinners and we still need to repent for, things that we've done, things that our ancestors have done. Um, and so I, yeah, I, I woke up Sunday and was like, you kind of have to prove it to me that you know the real Jesus. And I'm not saying that's good. Um, but again, there, the church plays a huge role in this and especially the white church, like yeah, now more than ever, like, like we've never had a right or an excuse to be ignorant but definitely not now. And especially in the age of social media um, where everything's literally at our fingertips. Knowledge is right there. Like we can Google it and just read about it. And there's no excuse to be ignorant of like, oh, I didn't see it or, oh, I didn't know. No, 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 no. We don't have that excuse anymore. White people do not have that excuse anymore to act like we didn't see something or we didn't hear about it. Especially I'm like, my generation, I know as you get older, like some of the older people are like only on Facebook, but even Facebook is like rampant with all of these conversations. I'm like, we don't have an excuse. And so for me, I'm like, racism is a gospel issue. And if the church is not addressing it as such, that's alarming to me. Yeah. 
it just shows that our church is really sick mm. you know and i this is really raw so <laughs> you could take this with a grain of salt but i really had this own question for myself i was like if jesus came back and i was indifferent about current events i would believe that he would say i do not know you mm. because i really feel like jesus is like i mean in my head i'm like how are you how can you be indifferent and this is what our like the hope of this podcast is to have conversations right and it's addressing our white brothers and sisters to engage in conversations engage in hard conversations for us that are chosen whereas for other people to daily think so i think the last thing i want to talk about in regards to like church and lament and apathy is this other thing that i read it was actually from a pastor. He himself said that he didn't even want to go to his own church just because of the pain and grief that he was facing. And he said, almost like the pandemic in our church now is that we don't create a space for lament and for grief. Yeah. And so therefore we teach people that Christians don't struggle or Christians can't deal with real pain because lament is supposed to be a place where we can be in pain together. And that's what actually brings unity and brings us, it kind of brings a deeper trust with God. And he said, the new positive and encouraging is the new liturgy. Mm. And I just felt like, wow, we're so focused on, you know, certain worship songs or certain like feelings, you know, and I've even had these moments too, where I'm like, I'm even a pretty joyful person. And sometimes that can be alarming in itself, you know, but even to be at a church, it's like, yo, let's wake up. Like, yeah. let's wake up. Yes. Like, I'm like, this is, Jesus doesn't hear this. He could come back for his bride and be like, you're not a part of her. Yeah. And I'm like, that is so sad. It's so sad to me that we can read, we can actually read and see in Psalms that a third of it is lament. Yeah. But we as Christians, like that is one thing that I see that I've seen. Just, it's been really difficult for us to really practice. Yeah. So yeah, I'm just telling you there is such a there is such an invitation and there this last this last thought I have is you know, we look back at history and be like, wow, slavery was just so so terrible. How did that like continue? But it's like right now if you're indifferent, you're still letting it continue mm. as people are in jail with the mass incarceration, the war on drugs, you know. Yeah. And, yeah, and so the hope of this podcast, the hope of our conversations and continuing ones is that it leads us from a place of ind indifference to empathy. And then the empathy actually leads us to, yeah, into action yeah. and justice yeah. and really partnering with people that people like us, our ancestors really just wanted to put under. Yeah. So many thoughts. Um, again, this will be my, I think this will, be, I think this will be my last comment about the church. Um, just cause I have, I have so many thoughts, but, um, I think, I mean, we were talking about this the other day where I was like, I think I've been so um, focused on being pra like the practical steps, like what can we do practically right now? Like what action steps can I take right now that I've kind of um, dis not dismissed, but I guess ignored. I don't even know if that's the right word, but kind of just like put the spiritual side of this war um, and the issue of racism to like the side. Cause I was just like, I think my other issue um, that I have and that I've seen is that 
the church has been so quick to go to the side of being prophetic and trying to be um, the light of the world, which can be like, <laughs> we think of the light of the world as this like happy, positive thing, but I'm like being a light of the world is also drawing attention to what is wrong and calling out things that are not kingdom and are not okay. And, um, and so I think I've kind of just pushed that to the side because I, it's like, it's like when you're in a conversation with a friend and you're like venting to them and they're like, in Psalms, it says this, you're like, I don't want to hear a scripture right now. Like, I want you to listen to me. I want you to hear my cries. I want you to hear my voice. I want you to hear what I'm I'm struggling with what I am dealing with, my hurts, my pains. I don't want to hear you quote a scripture to me. Like, it's almost like when we do that to people, it's like there's a disconnect all of a sudden. And I know that sounds so backwards because it's like, oh, but Jesus is the answer. Yes, he is. But Jesus, you don't see Jesus in scriptures going around constantly being like, I am the light. Like, it's always like he addresses people's issues. And then, and he, he meets with them in their space. He meets with them in their hurt, in their pain. And then if they ask like, who are you? He's like, I am, I am him. I am the son of God. Like he didn't come into situations like, ta-da, I am Jesus. And this is what I have to say. Like he sat with people. He had conversations with people like the woman at the well. He didn't, his first words to her weren't, I am Jesus. I am the one. Like, you know what I'm saying? And I feel like when we quote scriptures to people in their time of pain and hurt it's it it just draws this line of disconnect and it's almost like we're using it as an excuse to not empathize with people and um we've talked about this too where it's like i feel like part of the apathy of white people is um w- one is uncomfortable to have the conversation about racism especially when you're still learning or you don't have a lot of knowledge in the area of racism um And so it's uncomfortable, but I think the other piece to it is like we, and I think I talked about this in the last, I think we talked about this in the first podcast um, about Black Lives Matter, but, and white privilege, but um, just the, the piece of not wanting to empathize or sit in other people's pain, because then it causes us to reflect on our own demons and what we struggle with and our own issues. And it makes us um, address our own trauma and our own pain. And so it's almost like, instead of being willing to sit in what's uncomfortable and sit in our own pain and our own hurt by sitting in the hurt of others, we use scripture as a way to dismiss, I don't think intentionally, but it, it just draws a line and it keeps us from having to address our own issues in that way. <laughs> I think, again, with the whole piece of like not wanting to look messy as the church, like we look, we want to look like we have it all together and that we're perfect. I'm like, that doesn't cause people to go to Jesus. What causes people to go to Jesus is seeing people that have issues, that have problems, that are struggling, but are remain hopeful and, and are constantly looking at God. And so, you know, I talked about this on a post and I was like, we don't need people to look at us for the answers. We need people to look at us looking at God for the answers so that they'll look to God themselves. And so I feel like, again, like just a huge piece of the conversation as a white person is you have to go in knowing it's going to be messy. You have to go in knowing that it's going to be uncomfortable. You're probably going to say the wrong thing a dozen times. You're, And that's why I'm saying like going into the conversation as a white person, we have to be humble. We have to be humble because that allows us to sit down and to hear and be corrected and not get defensive and, and then deflect. And then it's like, 
what was the point of the conversation? Now we're back in the same space of you using your white privilege to be like, oh, it's not, I, 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 I just don't know what to do. Or I, you know, just <laughs> all the excuses we can have as a white person to not be in the conversation. It's like, we have to be humble in the conversation and be willing to be corrected, be willing to be yelled at. And we've talked about that too, as well of like, what would I do if um, a black person came up to me and just out of their own hurt and pain, whether I did something or not to trigger them, but even my skin can be a trigger, you know? And if they were to come up to me and just start yelling at my, in my face, would I be able to sit there and not get defensive, but instead apologize and hear them out and listen to them and not become um, in the image that they already know us to be, which is arrogant and prideful. And um, so yeah, I've had to sit with that myself of like, how would I react if a black person just started yelling at, at me and and yeah, just taking out anger and all the pain and all the, the hurt out on me. Like, would I be willing to sit there and take it and then be like, I'm sorry and not try to turn it back on them. Like, how dare you talk to me like that? Like <laughs> that's the piece of, of white supremacy. Like that's the heart behind it. And, um, yeah, I've had to sit with that because, um, I mean, it's probably bound to happen at one point or another. thought I had um as I was at the protests is like I mean we were there and there was probably like five or six National Guard soldiers with rifles guarding an empty building which I'm not even going to go into that conversation of how ridiculous that seems to me but um I had this moment where I was like wow like I standing out here one of them could easily shoot me or an angry person who is hates the Black Lives Matter movement could drive by and easily whip out a weapon and just start shooting. And so being out there, I was like, yeah, I was like, I could die at any moment. Um, and I have that choice because of my skin color. And I have that choice to stand out there and decide whether I want to be in the line of fire or not. And black people don't have that choice. Like their skin is seen as a weapon. And so to, people like they because their skin is seen as a weapon it's it's they're they're always considered armed mm. whereas my skin isn't and so i think i think being out there and choosing like with in my with like in mind that i could die um being out here it put a new like it put a weightiness um and it brought a new perspective of like what it means to truly pick up your cross um, and to lay your life down for other people. Um, and it's just interesting being in these moments. Cause I'm just thinking now I'm like, unless big moments like this happen, I could go my entire life without ever really understanding the weight and the depth of what it means to pick up my cross because of my skin color. Wow. 
you know, like I could go my whole life and be like, oh yeah, I totally know Jesus. I love Jesus. I would lay my life down. But unless I'm actually faced with that and given the choice of like, okay, are you going to choose to be silent and to go about your life business as usual? Or are you going to sacrifice your life because your life is not your own as a Christian? Um, are you going to sacrifice and be willing to die for other people? Mm. Um, and again, I keep saying this, but I'm like, it's a privilege to choose that because other people don't get to. And um, so I think being out there, it just, again, it was like you said earlier, of just like, do I really know Jesus? Do I really know his heart? Um, and am I willing to choose to be a part of it? And I think also with that, it's like, I mean, we can talk about social media too, but I mean, go ahead. You said you had something you were going to say kind of based off of that. Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of reiterating a little bit of what I said earlier, but just being a part of the protest, when you stand for anything, it will just really highlight what's in you that needs to needs attention. And so I felt like the grief that I was feeling was like a mixture of the weight of the reality of what's happening in the mixture of my own pain in regards to, you know, certain people in my life that I've never like cried out to that I've never faced that I never had the courage to stand up to. Mm. So there's, there's like a, this balance where, yeah, it's like, are you willing to, in a weird, in a, in a, in a certain way, it's like, as I was at this protest, it was, I was also like having the courage to be like, wow, it's time to face certain things in myself and tear down apathy within myself. Yeah. And so I think a couple of, just brief things that I want to mention that I know Spencer could share a little bit more on too is there's some great documentaries to look into, to hear about history, to get a different perspective. And that's the 13th amendment. Another one is when they see us and both of those honestly, and just watching and taking an episode at a time just to see the reality of a young black man and what they have to face. Mm Mm-hmm. It's just, it's beyond heavy. It's beyond cruel. And it's just horrific to think that a kid at 14 would be sent to prison yeah, and have to live their life growing up in a place that literally does nothing for them. Mm-hmm. And then they're marked for life, but they're marked for life in a place like the U.S. So ways of being a white ally, you know, is having these conversations with other white brothers and sisters and processing, not processing, but even just like, digging deeper and really challenging ourselves and really having honest dialogue of where we're, we just don't know and where we really need to tear down our own white supremacy. Yeah. And then, yeah, being informed. um, Yeah. And just really praying to God to tear down those things within us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And honestly, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and act like I have um, been an activist for anti-racism my whole life or whatever. I honestly, I, I just started doing like some in-depth homework and just educating myself just probably within like the past few months. Um, and yeah, 
I really encourage you guys to, um, you guys being white people, to watch The 13th by Ava DuVernay. Um, she's also the one that directed uh, When They See Us, which is a true story based on, um, they were called the Central Park Five. And they were young boys, um, all under 18. I think the oldest was 16. And they wore, were um, charged and convicted for the rape and um, sodomy. And I think some other charges of a woman who was running through Central Park. Um, and they have recently been exonerated. They were all released from prison um, except for one, I believe I, I need to do my homework a little bit more on their story, but Corey Wise, who uh, was in prison for 12 years and wasn't released until he ended up at the same prison that the guy who actually committed the crime was there. And he saw the face of the person who took the, the charges um, and took the, the, the years in prison that he should have taken. And that he should have been charged with. And that was when he finally admitted that he had um, committed that crime. And so they were released and they've recently been exonerated. And that's where um, their story is being told now. As well as um, Who Killed Malcolm X is another documentary you can watch. It's on Netflix. Um, Time, the Khalif Browder story, is another one you can watch. He was also a black man that was wrongly convicted um, and was in prison waiting to even go to his trial, I believe for three years before he finally was released. And because there are no, um, mental health is so taboo in the black community that he didn't get mental health help. He didn't, you know, and it, if you didn't know, like once you're convicted of a felony of any type, even a drug charge, um, which is the whole thing of the war on drugs, which you can find out more about that in the 13th. But um, once you're charged with anything, you are forever labeled as a second class citizen. You don't have a lot of your rights are taken from you. And so they use that as a way to um, keep black people suppressed and keep them oppressed and keep them in a status of a second class citizen. And so those are just a few of the documentaries that you can watch on Netflix, as well as if you are into reading, you can read The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander. There's also The Color of Law, which talks about, I, I haven't started reading it yet, but I know it talks about redlining, which honestly, I didn't even really know a lot about that. I knew like our government had set up, um, like kind of mapped out our country in a way that kept black communities together and in a place that is impoverished. And so um, it's called redlining and they would literally map out um, spaces on the map. And then businesses could use that as a way to decide and determine to hire or not hire someone based on where they're at on the map. And so that's called redlining. You can read more about that. And along with other um government practices in that book. So the color of law anyways. Yeah. I'm not going to sit here and act like I know everything cause I don't, but I've just recently started to, doing my homework and I'm just like really, um, determined and it just, I feel like it's my, 
responsibility to learn and to know what I'm talking about and to not go into this blind. And so I think, again, these conversations are hard. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to say the wrong thing. Um, but that's not an excuse to back down and it's not an excuse to stop educating ourselves and it's not an excuse to get defensive in conversations. Um, and so, yeah, I, I really encourage those of you who are white that are listening to this, like pretty much this whole podcast is for you and to just encourage you to do the homework. My prayer is that, and my encouragement to any white person that's listening to this right now is like that when things, you know, things are starting to open up with COVID. And my my prayer is that we don't just go back to life with, you know, business as usual. I'm going back to my career, you know, and things just start to go back to how they were. Like, I just pray that this movement isn't just like a short-lived movement, but that we really see out the end of racism um, in our country and in the world as a whole, that we really, we, we run the long race. You know, this isn't just a sprint that we got to just, oh, let's do a few protests. And then once it dies down, you know, they'll throw us a couple dollars. They'll throw um, black communities a couple dollars, a couple answers, a couple, oh yeah, we're doing what you want. And then we kind of back down and it's like, you know, a month later, another black man is murdered. Um, and then it's like the same thing over again. Like, I really pray that just because it's like the world was on pause and we got to see, not got to see, but we had to see um, the realities. If you weren't seeing it before that, it doesn't end when life goes back to quote unquote normal. Cause that's not really even a thing anymore. But my prayer is that we just continue to fight the fight. Um, in whatever capacity you feel called to. And again, like not everyone is called to the front lines and that's okay. There's some people that have resources and finances that can sow a whole lot of money to help what needs to be helped. And there's people that were built to stand at the front lines. We're built to barricade um, black protesters with the, uh, from the police. Like there's, we have different roles. And I think that's the beauty of, um, our world. And, and especially as a Christian, like it's just like the body of Christ, we all have our role. And I think my whole thing with this conversation, um, is to just invite my white friends and whoever else is listening that may be white is to just find your role and stand in it and to, to not back down, but to really stand in your position, take your position and whatever capacity that is, whatever way that is, um, cause I don't believe everyone is called to the front lines. I think we all have our resources. We all have different things that we're good at different ways. We operate in our best. And I think the point, excuse me, the point is that we need to operate in the best way that we were built to operate in, um, in the fight against racism.
So yeah, I just want to share, maybe you're somebody who is in a place where you feel indifferent or apathetic. And recently I've been studying the passage of the Samaritan, the Good Samaritan, and the different people that passed him on the road, or the different people that were involved in this story. And it was a Jewish man that was pretty much killed and left on the side of the road. And different religious leaders passed him by, but didn't offer any help until the Samaritan came by and bandaged his wounds and, you know, took him to an inn and took care of him. And so even in that story, it's talking about how the Samaritan being a mixed race and someone who technically was an enemy to the Jews was the one who chose to help this man. And I think what this story showed me is like, where, where do we stand? Do, are we one of the religious leaders that just passes by or do we look and are we aware, but we still decide to be indifferent? Or are we actually somebody who takes the time to really stop and use the privilege that we have for something good? And so I think even for myself, as I've also been doing more research in the past couple of months, and as things have been more in our face due due to the pandemic, it makes me really wonder what places in me are really apathetic that can make me not as passionate, not as bothered or not as uh, concerned about what is happening And not that I'm not, but there's a different level to be enraged and to be just going into a place of lament. So I just feel like if that is you, this is such a great place to continue to have those conversations and to really pray that God would begin to break down those apathetic walls in yourself or the different things that you have to face just so that you can start to really stand where justice is needed, but also just get to yeah, face things that maybe you've never known were within you. Yeah, and I'll just say that we all are in different places, and that's okay. Some of us are further along in the educational journey or just even the journey of within our hearts and dealing with how we may feel towards the issue of racism Um, and there's different levels. There's so, there's so much to it. And so, you know, there's no guilt or condemnation. Um, but it's just an invitation to figure out where you're at and what the next steps are to take in order to stand in your position. So again, this is the place to have those conversations. This is the place to just share where you're at and ask questions and just be a part of the conversation. Um, because I think, you know, at whatever level we're both at, like we're both willing to have a conversation, um, about it and what we can do as white people and as white allies. It is written in the United States Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. But what if you are only three-fifths of a person? Are you included in all men? Are you still considered to be created equal? Since the foundation of the United States, African Americans have been deemed as unworthy, unworthy of life, unworthy of opportunity, unworthy of basic human rights. Racism, a word our country's DNA knows too well. Systemic racism, 
our country's backbone. Same beast, different mask. It has been redesigned over and over again, from slavery to Jim Crow, to mass incarceration, to police brutality, to the war on drugs. African-Americans have been targeted, mistreated, and murdered for hundreds of years. Their skin made a weapon, their communities turned into war zones. Media has depicted them as monster and criminal. To my white friends, we've never had an excuse to be ignorant, but now we really don't. For too long, the arrogance and pride of white supremacy has ruled in this country. It's time we humble our hearts and come before our black brothers and sisters ready to serve. We have a choice set before us, a choice that our white skin lends to us, a choice our black brothers and sisters do not have, a choice to be silent for violence or a voice for justice, a choice to educate ourselves or remain ignorant, a choice to remain comfortable in our white privilege or uncomfortable as a white ally. You were born for such a time as this. It's no coincidence you are alive today. So what will you choose? My prayer and hope is that you'll choose to be uncomfortable.